Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Who isn't familiar with the saying, age is just a number? Well, not for nothing. That sure as hell applies to Ruby Locknor, my guest today. In her 20s, Ruby is an actor and a technical producer. Her theater credits include a national tour with TheaterWorks USA, multiple recordings for Music Theater International, and vocal recordings with Christian Chenoweth and Alice Cooper, to name just two. Ruby's technical production work includes Jim Caruso's Pajama Cast Party, virtual Halston with actress Julie Halston, for which she won a Broadway World Award for Best Producer of a Virtual Program, and a virtual reading of The Night of the Iguana with Dylan McDermott and Felicia Rashad. Ruby also hosts her own podcast, About You with Ruby Lochnar. So let's meet and get to know Ruby Lochnar. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm truly so excited and so honored. Well, I have to start with the age thing, okay? Because in my case, it's a really high number, but you're young to have done a lot of what you've done. Let's own that, okay, Ruby? Absolutely. And you know what? It's so funny. I I embrace being one of the youngest people in the room. I know that a lot of people my age kind of try and hide it. But for me, it's something that I'm really proud of because, you know, I would like to think that in my 21 years of life, you know, coming up on 22, I have accomplished quite a bit. So no, I completely own it. I'm 21. I have a lot to learn, but I'm very lucky that I've already been kind of a lot of places. And why is that? Why have you been a lot of places? What was that like growing up as Ruby Lachnar? Growing up, I was raised by an incredibly musical family. Uh, My mom was in the music business. Her name is Victoria Shaw. She's a singer, songwriter, producer, publisher, recording artist, uh, primarily. She's a heavyweight. She's a heavyweight. Yes, she is. uh, I don't know if I can say badass, but she's a complete badass. And um, she's one of the the best women in the country music business. Uh, My dad was studying to be an actor uh, when they got married and had kids. He decided to be the stay-at-home parent. But, you know, I grew up with him always making funny voices and singing a song. So, you know, I kind of learned a lot through osmosis. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I knew that I wanted to be in this business literally from day one. Um, but my parents, despite the fact that they were, you know, in the entertainment industry, were always very hands off and always wanted me to be incredibly independent. So at the age of four, when I decided, you know, I think I'd like an acting agent, my parents <laughs> were like, that's great. Uh, you go find that for yourself. So I like wrote a letter to whom, you know, ended up being my first agent. And that's kind of how it's been for the rest of my life. You know, when I got bit by the songwriter bug myself, you know, and I told my mom, I want to start setting up co-writes here in, you know, in Nashville, because I grew up there part-time. My mom was like, that's great you set them up. So, you know, they were always there for me if I ever needed like, you know, legal counsel or, you know, (laughs) if I needed needed just like parental advice, you know, of course they were there for me, but they were really big on, uh, you know, making me as independent as possible. And that's something that I'm incredibly thankful for. I say this all the time in my conversations because it really is true. To a person, every woman has such a strong sense of self. It's extraordinary. That's how I've always been, though. And and again, I do think a lot of it has to do with how I was raised, but it also just is who I am, you know, who I who I came out as. And, um, 
you know, I always just kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. Um, and if people didn't like that, I really, I didn't care because I knew that eventually I was going to find my tribe. Um, and mm. so, which I really do feel like, like I have. Um, and I'm always looking to expand that, of course, as I get older and my interests, you know, change slightly. But I, I've always been somebody who's marched to the beat of my own drum. I remember when I was seven years old, you know, a lot of times little girls love their long hair, but mm-hmm. I wanted to cut it all off into a pixie cut because I saw life. Liza Minnelli's Liza with a Z special. And I turned to my mom and I said, I need that hair. And the next day I went out, put my hair into a pixie. Um, everybody made fun of me at my school, but I didn't care. I loved it. And then I, I had pink hair. I got like colored extensions at one time. So I really was always just kind of marching to the beat of my own drum. I think that's incredible. And the fact that you own it and it wasn't aberrational. That's what defines you all these years later. So growing up, while you had this sense of like performance or art or whatever, as you got more into your teenage years, did you have more of a focus that I want to do blah? Oh, I always knew that the end goal was Broadway, literally since I could speak. Um, There are family videos of me singing, you know, Tomorrow from Annie at two years old. And I was working on my vibrato at the age of two. And that's just something because I I, I wanted to. I know I was a very interesting child. Precocious, I might add, right? (laughs) I was interested in everything and I I enjoyed almost everything. Um, But yeah, no, the, the goal was always Broadway from day one. And... I was somebody who kind of knew what I wanted from the get-go. Uh, my, my parents will still repeat this story. They said, you know, Ruby as a little kid would say, I'm going to go to a performing arts high school for, for high school. And then I'm going to go to New York for college. And I'm going to move there full time. And I'm going to audition. And I'm going to be on Broadway. So when it was time to audition for high schools, I was still, you know, going to school in Nashville and then coming up to New York uh on the, you know, off season of school. Um, and I, I ended up going to the performing arts school that I wanted to national school of the arts. It was an absolutely wonderful experience. I was a theater major there, uh, where I not only learned, you know, how to be, you know, on the stage, but also behind the stage. I Mm -hmm. learned a lot of technical theater as well, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And then I graduated, moved up to New York, uh, full time, literally a week after graduation started auditioning full-time uh, while I was waiting for my school to start. Uh, Where were I, you going to go? Where did you get in? I feel incredibly lucky. I got into every single school that I applied to, which every was college. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I had my options open, but I ended up going, well, I wanted to go the conservatory route because I knew it would probably be easier for me to continue auditioning. I didn't want to leave my current representation. Mm-hmm. And also I figured there might be a better chance for me to complete school if I choose a two-year program rather than a four-year gotcha, program. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And that didn't even happen because so when I, um, right before college, I booked my first off-Broadway show. It was a show called Love Court at the Robert Moss Theater downtown. And then I went to college for three months and I booked my first equity national tour with Theater Works USA. And um, I never went back to school. It was amazing. And it was a really great first equity national tour to be a part of because you really pay your dues. You know, you're also setting up the sets when you get to the location, you're driving the van, you're driving the second car, the Prius, that's what our second car was. So my tour was one of the longer ones. It was about six and a half months. On average, we did about 13 shows a week. Wow. Um, Wow. Oh yeah, it was, it was a lot, but it was a lot in the best way possible. And I'm truly so thankful for it also because it did give me my equity card. Right. Um, But it it taught me 
you know, this new level of discipline. Um, and, you know, I love traveling. So it was really kind of the best of both worlds, doing what I loved and, and getting to, you know, see so many new places and meet so many wonderful kids. Um, so I, I'm truly forever thankful for that experience. So that was your first big break? You know, it kind of depends on the way you you look at it. Uh, it was my first equity production, but okay. prior to that, I had been performing my entire life. Uh, you know, I had performed at places like Birdland, and you know, I had done multiple recordings with Music Theater International. I performed. I did a production of Tarzan with them, and performed with the Nashville Symphony. I had sung with people like Kristen Chenoweth. So, you know, it, it depends on the way that you look at it. But it was my first Equity production, and that you know, it was one of my goals to get my Equity card by twenty years old, um, and I ended up getting it at eighteen. So, you know, it was really amazing to say that. And least. you moved to New York City cold at that age. I mean, you just did it. Solo? Well, so I grew up in Nashville part-time, and I also lived here in the city part-time. My mom is from New York, but, you know, the country music industry brought my mom to Nashville. So I was very familiar with New York, and we had a family apartment here in the city. Uh, Um, So it wasn't like I was moving up here without a community. In fact, by the time I moved up here, I moved up here at 17, right before I turned 18. I already had a ton of friends here. I had just signed with new representation. Um, And so I really, you know, New York was always my home. My parents knew. I was not a Nashvilleian. As much as I love Nashville, that was never mm-hmm. my home. New York was mm-hmm. my home from day one. Um, and I truly believe there's there's no better place. I moved up here at 17 and just thought, you know what? This is where I'm meant to be. I'm going to make it happen one way or another. Um, and so that's kind of how I've always, uh, how, you know, how I've always been. It speaks volumes for your parents who didn't stand in your way and didn't do one of these, oh, no, no, you can't. You can't go to New York by yourself. So, I mean, what a mutual... Uh, relationship as to, in terms of admiration society. Also, you know, you, the support is huge. Well, my mom moved up to New York at 17. So I feel like it, when oh, I hello. wanted to do the okay. same thing, you know, she couldn't say no. And I always say, no, my parents were my biggest cheerleaders. And because they were both in the entertainment industry, you know, if I would have come to them. They would have been happy regardless of what I chose to do. But I feel like if I would have come to them and said, hey, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, they would have thought I was going through a midlife crisis. Mm. So I think the fact that, you know, I I said from day one, I wanted to be a performer, they knew it was just in my blood and there really wasn't another option for me. So what happened after Theater Works? So after Theater Works, I came back to the city and I decided that I just wanted to sit. I wanted to sit down for a second because traveling for six and a half months and doing 13 shows a week. Yeah, that's crazy. At 17, right? Well, I, I was 18, 19 at that time. Big deal. Okay. Um, I know, right? Two two years difference. But, um, you know, it, it, it was a lot. And so I decided I wanted to sit for a second. And so I ended up taking a retail job. Um, I'm a big people person. I love talking. Really? Yes. <laughs> There's and, a surprise. And I also, I've always had a, a passion for beauty and fashion. I've always been into makeup. I've always been into clothes. And so when I, when I decided to get a retail job... Um, Um, I knew I wanted it to be in either the makeup or fashion industry. So I got a retail job at J. Crew, and I was only there for two weeks because (laughs) one of my first clients was the VP of women's wear at Barney's. And oh, I didn't that's know, pretty Tony. Okay. And, and I didn't know that that's who she was at the time because, you know, she was dressed in just very casual athleisure wear and just came to me for a personal shopping experience. And then the next day I got a call and she offered me a job over the phone. So I ended up 
moving over to Barney's mm-hmm. and I was a personal stylist there for almost a year. And, you know, while I was still working there, I was auditioning, you know, 24 seven, just kind of playing the game here in New York, mm-hmm. uh, kind of going to anything and everything that I could. And, you know, booked a few like small things here and there, like either a little recording or, you know, like an independent film that a student was working on, you know, but my, my primary focus honestly was just, um, hustling and saving up money and making money, you know? Um, so I worked at Barney's and then I had a wake up call that I was, I was too caught up in that work and it wasn't giving me time for the work that I truly loved. So I left Barney's. Mm -hmm. I went to Stuart Weitzman, which is luxury shoes. Yes, Mm ma'am. And that was one of the best changes that I could have made because my manager at the time, who is still one of my best friends, I don't work there anymore, but him and I, I love him so much. Uh, both him and his fiance are heavily involved in the theater industry. So when I told him, look, I'm looking for a job that can kind of be flexible and let me do the audition grind, but I promise I'll be here every day and I'm going to make you killer money and killer sales. <laughs> and he said, done. So I you know, started working there and then the pandemic hit. I was there for literally almost a year to the day. Oh, so this is very recent. Hit. This is so recent. This is fairly recent. Yeah, I started, uh, I think I started at Stuart Weitzman in March of 2019. And then obviously the city shut down in March of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of brings us to what I'm doing now full time, which is technical producing, which is is just, I really can't believe that it's my job. Every single day I wake up and it's truly a pinch me moment. How did that happen? Because initially it's being in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. How did you make that transition and why? I think they kind of both go to the same thing, which is I had no choice but to pivot because a pandemic was thrown in my face. So, you know, in March, when the city shut down and Broadway went dark, we all thought it was going to be for just two weeks. I thought maybe give it a month. I don't think it's going to be two weeks, but I think it's going to be a month and no more than that. And now I just look back and I laugh at myself. But we, we were all ignorant like well, that. Oh, no, for God's sake. Yeah, that and, it was Armageddon. Exactly. So for those two weeks, so that me, my boyfriend, and my puppy wouldn't be stuck in a New York apartment. We decided to fly down to Nashville, Tennessee to quarantine with my family, just that we all had some more space and we got to be with more people. We could have a true bubble and not just be like talking to ourselves and the wall. (laughs) So we flew down to Nashville and this is really how fast it happened. The city shut down or my job shut down on the 17th. We flew down to Nashville on the 18th. On the 19th, I realized this was going to be longer than a month. I need to pivot and pivot fast. But I want to make sure that I'm still involved in what I love somehow, which is the entertainment industry. And if it can't be in front of the camera or on the stage right now, it's going to be in some other way. And I've always been really techie. I've always loved filming and editing videos. I have a YouTube channel. I've always loved experimenting with live streaming. And so this light bulb kind of went off in my head and I thought, you know, all of these live events that were supposed to happen are being canceled due to the pandemic. Somebody's going to need to pivot and pivot really fast and produce these shows online. And for whatever reason, I thought that that could be me. I thought it was going to be me. Um, granted, I didn't know it was going to be me in the scale that it is today. Right. Um, so on the 22nd, I believe it was. I March. You're still in March. Still in March. I saw Jim Caruso go live on Instagram to kind of do a virtual version of 
his show Cast Party, which is usually live at Birdland. Every right. Explain day. about what that is for people who don't know Birdland and who don't know him. Cast Party is an open mic night every single Monday that is produced at Birdland Jazz Club here in New York City. Uh, it's an open mic night for the Broadway, cabaret, country, singer-songwriter, dancer community. I mean, there's truly everybody and anybody has been at Cast Party. And I've been singing there since I was six years old. And Jim is a dear family friend of ours. I mean, he's truly like family. And so when the city shut down, one of the first people that I thought of was Jim. And I thought of the Birdland community and I thought, oh, that's going to be sad. I'm not going to get to be a cast party for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So Jim went on Instagram live, didn't really know what he was doing. And he'll admit to that. (laughs) And he just went on Instagram to talk to people, see who was watching. And if anybody wanted to join his Instagram live and sing a song, he let them do that. And as I'm watching that, I literally texted him during the Instagram. And I said, I know you're not going to see this until afterwards, but you need to take cast party virtual and I'm going to be your producer. And that's all I texted him. So he texted me back the next morning and he said, I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So I called him and I said, here's what we're going to do. People need hope and people need the arts, especially in a time like this. And so I called him and I said, next Monday, You're going to put together a cast list. I'm going to be your technical producer. You're going to do what you do best, which is host. And we're going to turn cast party into pajama cast party and make it a virtual weekly event. And he just trusted me. And he said, okay, we'll try this for a week. And I said, okay, you know, knowing in the back of my mind, I think this is going to be something really special. So next Monday we had a show, um, you know, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. I think our first cast party online was truly almost three hours long. Since then, we've condensed it into about an hour and a half show every week. But our viewership was through the roof. Isn't that uh, we wild? Had, we had thousands and thousands of people watching. Isn't that insane? So on some bizarre level, all the stars were aligned in spite of the fact that we are living through a nightmare. Yeah. There's that expression, making chicken salad out of chicken shit. And that's clearly what you did. When I first started my business, I just did it because I had this gut feeling. Um, and I The think, technical business, you mean? Yes. When I started mm-hmm. my technical producing business, I just mm-hmm. had this gut feeling that somebody needed to do this. And because there weren't a lot of people doing anything similar, my client roster literally grew overnight. It, it was truly insanity. You know, I got my first client, quote unquote, on the 23rd, and that was Jim. And then two weeks later, I had I had seven clients. A month later, I had 15. And then I started working with incredible producers, Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits. I mean, it was really amazing how fast and how organically this all grew. And literally within the first month, it became my full-time job. Concerts, talk shows, online stage readings, um, you know, productions for um, companies that weren't able to happen live, you know, galas, virtual galas. I've done quite a few of those. So it was still the theatrical community. Yes, exactly. obviously you reinvented the wheel. I don't know if I reinvented it because there's always been, you know, technical producers. But, you know, I think in this new day and age and and these pandemic times that we're living through, um, I'm definitely doing something different. And since then, there have been, you know, quite a few others who have popped up and have started doing Mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think because I was one of the first to kind of get 
in the game. Uh, that's why it all grew so fast. Right. And that you were in demand. Yes. And also because I have my you know background as an actor right. and I have technical theater knowledge, I know how to communicate with everybody, everybody on a team. And I think that that's really my secret weapon. And I say that a lot in you know meetings when I'm first pitching to clients or a client comes to me, you know, I say, I know how to talk to everybody and I will mm-hmm. be able to communicate with everybody. Um, and that's something that you don't get a lot of the times with technical producers because they only know the technical side of things, which is amazing. But because I also know how to communicate with the actors and with the talent, and I grew up around that, it really is kind of my secret weapon. And so everybody who you dealt with put their trust and faith in you because you performed. So many people have just truly put their blind faith in me. I mean, that's how I started working with Julie Halston, who connected us. Um, she had been, you know, she's dear friends with Jim Caruso. And, and has performed numerous times at Birdland. Yes. And mm-hmm. Jim had been, you know, saying, you've got to do a virtual show. Like, you of all people, you need a virtual show during these this time. And Julie was like, I don't want to do it. Please don't talk to me. I'm crawling under a rock. And Jim said, no, 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 no. We're going to make this easy on you. Uh, you know, you do what you do best, which is host and be brilliantly funny and just yourself. And he said, me, alongside with my technical producer, Ruby Lochner, we're going to make this happen. Julie had no idea who I was, but she put her blind faith in me. And now, you know, I love her just like family. And again, we've been producing her show for almost a year. Well, not for nothing. You've got street cred because of Jim to approach Julie. When she started, it was out of her wheelhouse. And that makes perfect sense. And Julie's show is live. That's a whole other ball game. Live events are truly unlike anything else. They always keep you on your toes. But I always say it's very, and I told her this the first time we talked. I said, Julie, the first thing you need to know about me is I am very hard to frazzle. There is truly nothing that I can't fix on the spot. I stay very calm, but I get stuff done. And, you know, yes, she. I did have a little bit of street cred with her because of Jim, But kind of bringing it back to what we were initially talking about, which is my age, she didn't have to trust me. You know, I met some people at first who have a very ageist way of approaching things. Oh, sure. And said, you know, why are you the woman for me? You know, why are you the person for me? You know, Mm -hmm. your age, you're so young. And I always just say to them, what's on paper doesn't lie. Just look at my resume. It speaks for itself. Um, And that's something that I try and kind of instill in a lot of my, you know, younger female friends who are entrepreneurs and business owners. You know, if somebody's questioning you, paper doesn't lie. And if you have the skills and you're the best one for the job, you're the best one for the job. No questions asked. To not say how old you were and reference that would be, I think, a sin of omission. You know, I bring to the table my past and how hard it sometimes is to prove yourself. And the fact that you have so accomplished so much at a young age just speaks volumes and should be celebrated. Yeah, definitely. No, I think, like you said, to, to not talk about my age, it feels like I'm hiding something, but I truly have nothing to hide. And I'm a very open book when I'm talking to new clients or prospective clients. I always say, ask me anything you want to know about me, because I want to make sure that, you know, I'm the right fit and you feel comfortable giving me, you know, so much trust. Trust, and, yeah. And letting mm-hmm. me produce your projects because mm-hmm. really, like, I'm the one pressing these big buttons, you know? So if something goes wrong, it's on me. So I want to make sure that you know, you know, that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that nothing goes wrong and every button that I press is, you know, is the right one. And I'm going to make you 150% happy. 
Speaking of anything going wrong, do you have any of those embarrassing moments where shit happens and it was like, oh my God, and when it's live, I mean, that must have, I mean, there, you, something must have happened along the way. Well, I mean, that's just kind of life in general. I of mean, course, shit happens every day, but no, as far as technical producing, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the first story that comes to mind, and I, I really don't know if I'm going to get through this without laughing because it it broke me then, and I'm sure it's going to break me now. Go for it. We were doing an episode of Pajama Cast Party, and and we had Mary Wilson on as a guest. And we were so As in excited. the Supremes Mary Wilson? Oh, yes. As okay. in the Supremes Mary Wilson. Okay. And we were so excited. I mean, Jim was just like a little kid. He was so excited. So as technical producer, I have, I'll, I'll kind of set my uh, setup for you. I have my main computer. Sometimes I'm working with a monitor and then I always have like my phone by me. So on my computer, I'm, you know, doing cues for whoever's currently on the screen and on my phone. I'm making sure that whoever's backstage is okay if they have any technical questions. So I had been communicating with with Mary backstage and she was like, I can't hear anybody. And I was like, you can't hear anybody. And I'm doing all my audio tests while the show is going on. I'm like, yeah, you should be able to hear everybody. Okay, well just bring me up onto the main screen. I'm sure it'll be fine once I'm there. Okay. So, you know, Jim introduces her, Mary Wilson, and we all can hear Jim. The audience can hear Jim. Everybody watching, the thousands and thousands of people can hear Jim. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. The only person who can't hear Jim is Mary. Mary Wilson. (laughs) So Mary, God bless her. And, you know, I I love what she chose to do, starts interviewing herself, which is... (laughs) Uh, Which was amazing. All the while, you know, every like five seconds, she's saying like, I can't, I still can't hear you. I can't even hear myself. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, she can't hear herself. Did she, wait. And I turned to my mother who happened to be sitting next to me because this was one of the shows I was producing when I was still in Nashville. And I said, she can't hear herself. Is she, is she deaf? Like, did she suddenly just, I couldn't figure out. (laughs) I've never heard somebody say they cannot hear themselves. Uh Uh-huh. So finally, I, I come onto the main screen and we're we're doing charades. It's me, Jim and Mary doing charades. Acting out here. Oh my gosh. And the audience is, is loving it because that's the fun of, you know, a live event. And right, so, right, right, right. Finally, I, I call Mary. And so she takes the call live on air. And I say, can you press the mute button on your computer? And she said, I don't even know where that is. And so I directed <laughs> her to where that was. Somehow she had pressed the mute button. I, <laughs> I, oh God, that's hilarious. It oh was my so God. funny. And then, you know, she was a doll. She stayed with us, you know, for like an extra 15 minutes talking with us and singing to us. I mean, she was amazing. But Jim and I could not collect ourselves after that show. It was truly so funny. <laughs> that's got to be in archives for sure. No, you can go back and watch it. It's still there because we believe in truly keeping everything up. And I mean, it was it was just so, it was so real and it was so wacky, but it ended up being such a memorable moment. People still bring it up to us. Isn't that great? That's great. So talk to me about doing virtual Halston. And for those who don't know, um, in the spirit of full disclosure, I used to work with Julie's late husband, Ralph Howard, at 1010 Wins, who I adored. And she was my first guest on this podcast. And I've interviewed her, I think, a total of three times. Love her. And then she just said to me, this is a no-brainer. 
you know, you must interview Ruby. So you said that it took a lot of convincing, but now she seems to be pretty comfortable in her role as virtual Halston. She's amazing. And I want to say I was a Julie fan before I, you know, personally knew her because obviously like growing up at Birdland, you you, you're going to run into Julie Halston. But what's funny is despite the fact that we both kind of, Birdland was our second home, we had never personally met, which I just thought was so funny that it took a pandemic to bring us together, like a pandemic of all things. Julie's such a pro now. I mean, really. But a lot of trepidation. She was really honest with me. You know, there were yes, a lot of knees yes. knocking. Kind of the same as Jim. They were not sure what they were getting into, but I was so convinced that it was going to work. And with Julie, I mean, her personality, you know, just radiates, regardless of if she's on a stage at a live in-person event or if she's right. virtual. Right. So I, I just knew it was going to work. And, you know, the first week, I remember we were doing sound check, and she was like, are there people waiting? Like, are people going to watch? And I said, Julie, I can see on the screen right now, 400 people are queued up waiting to watch this show. And that's only going to grow. And, you know, by the end of the show, we had like over a thousand people watching, Mm -hmm. which was just amazing. And, you know, cut to now, like I said, we've been doing the show for almost a year. And she's truly one of the funniest human beings alive, but she's also one of the nicest humans alive. Absolutely. That's not a common combination. No. And I've, I've loved, I truly, I've loved getting to work with her and Jim. I mean, like the three of us, I look forward to our Friday shows every single week. And we have a group text, like a group chat that we have always on. I mean, I get at least a message every single day. Sometimes Julie will call me with like a random tech question. Yesterday she called me because she thought all of her Facebook photos had disappeared, but something weird just happened for a few minutes. I mean, really, I'm always talking to either one of them, Mm -hmm. but I I love Julie and the audience does too. And this show is truly amazing. And you won an award for it. I did. I won an award, which was Totally unexpected, but really fun. Um, you know, when and the, just, but deserved, unexpected, oh, but deserved. Thank you. And yeah, when the Broadway World Award uh, nominations came out, I had been nominated for all three weekly shows that I produce. Um, and what's funny is, what's when the I, third? Uh, I produce a weekly show for Karen Mason uh, called Mason's Making Music. Uh, another absolutely incredible singer and one of the nicest people on the planet. Um, I produce a show for her every Thursday, but I had been nominated for all three. And what was so funny is when I ended up winning for Virtual Halston, I I beat out myself because in that same category, I was also nominated for Pajama Cast Party. So (laughs) I mean, I I was just happy that I won. And honestly, I'm really happy that I won for Virtual Halston because I got to win with Jim, which was really, really great. And it felt like such a full circle moment because that's who I started producing with, you know, and that's who I started producing for. So it was, it was really great. It was such a great way to, way to uh, ring in the new year. Um, and a great way to kind of realize that despite the pandemic, I have accomplished a lot and, and I'm really proud of that. Talk to me about your YouTube channel. I love my YouTube channel. I started creating videos way before YouTube was anything that it is today. I've been creating content for 11 years. Um, so back then, you know, YouTube was not a way that people could make money. Brand deals were not a thing. The term influencer you know, wasn't in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. Um, I just did it because again, I loved talking to people and I loved creating things. I loved being in charge of the project and being the boss. So I just started making 
beauty and fashion videos 11 years ago, back when like I really did not know what I was talking about. So some of those videos have been removed, but it's been a passion that has always stayed with me. And like I said, you know, because YouTube wasn't what it is today, when I started doing that, my parents were like, she's doing what? She's talking to a camera, posting to who? Who's seeing this? What is this? You know, I mean, I had friends that made fun of me. I had people who were like, I don't know, but if you enjoy it, good for you. Um, Cut to now, I've been monetized for almost five years, uh, meaning I make money off of the videos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've worked with um, some really incredible brands and I've really created this wonderful, small, but really um, consistently growing community. And and I love it. I love my YouTube channel. I think it's a way for people to really get a personal look into my life. Because like I said, I'm a pretty open book. So there's not really anything that I won't share. Um, I share the highs and I share the lows. And that's uh, why I think people are so connected to my videos and why my viewers keep coming back. Um, and I feel weird saying viewers because I, I always kind of just look at them as friends. I mean, mm. I can recognize I can recognize a screen name every time I get a comment. I'm like, oh, that's Claire, or oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's that's Lexi. Like I, I know I know my subscribers, so it's always been a really big passion of mine, and I really don't think I'll stop anytime soon. And people can access it by what? Uh, my channel name is just Ruby Lochner. So you oh, can find okay. me. You can find me on YouTube there, uh, and that's kind of the same for all of my social media handles. Mm-hmm. So I also ask this question a lot, even though you certainly don't need me as such. But if I were your fairy godmother, what would you ask of me? Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. You know, I, at first I was like, oh, easy. I would wish you know, for this pandemic to be over and to, to be on Broadway, but, you know, and not trying to be cocky at all, but I think that's going to happen for me one day. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I think, I think my one wish would be to make sure that I am just as happy 20 years from now as I am right now. Mm. I'm really, you know, again, despite the pandemic, and I wouldn't wish this pandemic on anybody. Of course but not. But despite what's been going on, I am, I'm really proud of myself and I'm really happy. It's always been my dream to be my own boss and work for myself and be the one to call the shots and have a flexible schedule where I get extra time with my puppy. You know, <laughs> I get to make breakfast with my boyfriend in the morning. And when I was working a nine to five, that was never really a possibility. We would just always be rushing and kind of in this go, go, go mindset and this hustle culture. But now, I I don't know. I'm just really content. I'm really satisfied. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue pushing myself and, you know, reaching new accomplishments. But I I would just want to make sure that I'm, I'm just as happy and grateful for everything and really practicing gratitude as much as I am right now. You know, what strikes me though, Ruby, aside from being, you know, quote, in front of the camera, I could see you as a director. So my mother always said, and I never learned this until I was pretty recently, probably like 18 or 19, because, and my mom never said this to me. She would only say it to friends because she didn't want to influence who I would become. But my mom would always tell friends when they would say, you know, what do you think Ruby's going to be when she grows up? My mom would say, she's either going to be a killer director or the dictator of a small country. It's going to be either one because Ruby knows what she wants and she knows how to get it done. I would love to direct. I took a a directing course at my high school uh, just because, again, I wanted to learn everything. Mm. And 
I, I, I loved it again, because I also was coming at it from the actor's perspective. So I understood what they needed as well as what I needed to make the scene, you know, as good as I possibly sure, could. Sure. But I would love to, I'd love to direct. Um, I would love to produce live events. Um, I, I'm honestly open to whatever the universe throws at me. As long as I am still involved in the arts and in the entertainment industry, that is that's the goal. <laughs> well, clearly we're not going to live with a pandemic forever and ever, although it seems like it. And to have the world be your oyster, if you noticed, I really do a lot of cliches. How great is that? Yeah. And you know what? Cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah, I say them a because lot. Because they're true. true. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They've been proven to be true. I think the end of this year is going to look a lot different than where we are right now. Right. And so I'm really excited to see you know, what I'm able to do and see by the end of this year and, you know, years to come. Um, And I'm, like I said, I'm willing to try anything and say yes to everything. I'm, I'm more than ready to get back into the audition game and, you know, get to just sing and, and, and do scenes just because I simply, you know, love them. And I, I love the audition grind. I know that a lot of people kind of roll their eyes when I say that because auditioning definitely isn't the most fun for anybody, but I truly love it. And I'm so ready to get back into that. Even if you don't get the job, it doesn't matter to you. Oh, even if I don't get the job, you know what, here's the thing. And I think, again, it goes back to something my mom, you know, said to me from day one, she always said to me, you know, if you really want to be in this business, you're going to get a lot of no's, which we know. But she said, the best way to not let it get you down is, you know, when you walk into that audition room and you do your best and you feel great, then you leave the room and you forget it ever happened because it's nothing until it's something. And that's kind of how I've always approached auditions. So when I get the job, it's a wonderful surprise. But if I don't get it, it was never mine to begin with. And it wasn't anything until it became something, if it did. Your skin is Teflon, not Velcro. That it just kind of falls off you, which is a great thing. Yeah, yeah. I try to approach life that way. And of course, sometimes a no stings well, much more than another. But that's just life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, tell me a little bit about your podcast. My podcast is called About You with Ruby Lochner. Um, I've always wanted to start a podcast. I'm a big podcast listener. When I'm commuting, you know, pre-pandemic, when I'm cleaning my apartment, when I'm at the gym, I always have my AirPods in and I'm always listening to a podcast. And it had already, it had always been something that I wanted to start. Um, But again, you know, working in nine to five and constantly auditioning and filming for a YouTube channel, there just wasn't time in the schedule. So once I officially started working for myself full time, that was like the first thing at the top of my list. I was like, okay, I got to finalize and figure out the business plan for my technical producing business. And then I'm starting a podcast. So back in September, um, we launched and I never wanted it to really be about me because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm still pretty irrelevant. (laughs) So I wanted it to be a platform where I could highlight voices that, I thought the rest of the world really, really, really needed to hear. And I wanted the podcast to be for and about my listeners, which is how I came up with the uh, the title about you. Um, so basically every single week, we uh, it's either a guest episode or a solo episode that I think is going to be a topic that you know a lot of my listeners will resonate with. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when it's a guest episode, we dive into the lives and stories of individuals, how they got to exactly where they are today, with all of the highs and lows in between. So actually my first interview was with my mom, which was really cool because I'd never really interviewed her before. Um, But I've talked with fitness instructors, 
Broadway actors, female business owners, who are life coaches. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's been it's been really fun. And you know, I've gotten to interview some friends, and I've also gotten to interview people who I didn't know, and now we became friends. So I love it. That's great. As we wind this down, I want to know, and we would be very remiss if I didn't ask, what about performing with your mom? Up until now. We really don't. You know, occasionally when she's singing at Birdland or singing at the Bluebird in Nashville, Tennessee, she'll bring me and my sister up to sing harmonies or something. But as a child, other than that, it really wasn't much. And again, it kind of ties back to my mom always wanting me to establish myself as my own person. I remember once I had started songwriting, it had been a few years, and I had had my first cut as a songwriter. And I said, mom, how come you and I have never written together? And she said, dead serious. She said, because if I write a song with you, if my name is on that, nobody is ever going to believe that you wrote that song. Got it. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I had never thought about it that way. Yeah, you would be completely marginalized. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, we're both, yes, in the music business and in the entertainment industry, but our paths are so different. Um, It's funny because she's actually had a lot of crossover like into the Broadway world and we both have a lot of theater friends. Um, I think now that I'm older and I'm establishing myself more, I would love for that to happen in some way. First things first, we need to write a song together because that still has never happened. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But I'm really thankful for the fact that she always wanted there to be a separation. And she always made it very clear. She's like, I want to be known as your mom, not as your writing partner, not as your collaborator, because then again, nobody's going to believe that you had a partner. They're just going to think that I put your name on it. Right, because she's such a bold-faced name. Yes, and she is, um, which I'm really thankful for because, again, growing up, I learned so many things through osmosis, and I think it taught me how to be a strong female and a strong female business owner. Um, But again, I'm really just thankful for the fact that she was also able to kind of separate that and say, like, you need to be your own person and and do your own own thing. What a great way to end. Ruby, this was a delight. Honestly, it was easy. It was enjoyable. It's been terrific. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Sandy. This was great. I've loved talking to you and I'm so appreciative that, again, you kind of just put some blind faith in me and said, let's have her on the podcast. Oh, I didn't need blind faith (laughs) at all. This was great. Thank you so much and more continued success. And hopefully post-pandemic, I'll be able to see you on that stage. I'll I'll be in an orchestra seat. How's that? That sounds great. I'll get you a ticket. I'll be sure of it. Oh, of course. And I'll be at the stage door. (laughs) Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.